Master Skywalker. There are too many. Swear words. What are we going to do? <laughs> Terrific. This show contains some adult language and may not be suitable for younglings. Hello there. He's no good to me dead. We're fine. We're all fine here now. How are you? I think you'll fill in nicely. This is where the fun begins. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another weekly episode of Good Morning Alderaan. A uh, little bit of a different episode for you this week. Uh, the guys and I are taking a much-deserved weekend off. Um, it's my fault, mainly. I, I can't record during our normal recording times, and uh, timing being as it is uh, with our busy lives getting in the way. Uh, I know Star Wars podcasters with lives. Weird. <laughs> um, but I've accumulated and compiled for you a special treat in the form of some highlights and best ofs of the previous interviews that we've run so far. I know that people have enjoyed those interviews quite a bit. Um, so we're going to have some more, uh, including next week. Next week's episode is going to be uh, an interview as well with Ben Acker. Now, Ben Acker is a co-author, along with his writing partner, Ben Blacker, of the young adult Star Wars series, Join the Resistance. Uh, I've read a few, uh, I've read about half of the first book already, and uh, it's it's fun. It's a lot of fun, set in kind of uh, the sequel era um, that, uh, yeah, adds some depth, adds some substance. Some familiar characters are in there as well, especially if you're a fan of previous um, or newer novels. You'll definitely see some familiar names in here. Um, so, yeah. Really looking forward to having him on the show and talking about his experience writing for Disney, writing for Star Wars. He also has another story that I can't wait to talk about from the uh, the very first certain point of view. Uh, him and his writing partner, Ben, also wrote uh, the story Bump, which is from the point of view of that stormtrooper that hits his head on, this, on the, the door as it's going up. Anyway, if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. But that's enough of me rambling on. Thank you again. We'll be back live next week with the fellas. And uh, yeah, enjoy the show. Now today, we are extremely blessed to be joined by someone who is at the very start of it all. He has worked on a total of 53 films, including Superman, Highlander, and Krull, but perhaps most notably for the sets on the sets rather of A New Hope and especially Empire Strikes Back, where he and his team created the aesthetic of dozens of alien creatures and I'd say especially everyone's favorite green Jedi master. You may have heard of him, Yoda. Uh, he currently operates that Yoda guy movie exhibit in conjunction with his amazing Follow Your Star Foundation on the beautiful Dutch side of the island of St. Martin of the Caribbean. Well, please help me welcome that Yoda guy, Nick Maley. Nick, how are you today? I'm cool. You know, it's uh, it's like quarter to nine in the evening now. So, you know, it's it's how am I tonight, really, I think. But uh, <laughs> no, I'm fine. I'm fine. We'd, we'd be regretful if we didn't talk about Yoda. Um, okay. And your your experience working on Yoda and the opportunity to work on Yoda, how that came to be. Um, and frankly, like where'd the inspiration come for the character Yoda? Like where was the inspiration to design that character? Okay. Where'd that well, come from? first and first and foremost, um, 
when you when you gave me such a wonderful glowing uh, introduction, you kind of made it sound like I, you know it was me and my team. It wasn't actually the case. I was part of Stu's team, so you know I was one of the guys. But right. uh, let me let me just uh, put that in proper context. When we started on the first Star Wars movie, I was the new kid in the in the creature workshop. And so no one trusted me to give me a solid character that was mine. I worked on bits of characters. So I made the eyes for a lot of right. the characters that are in the uh, Mos Eisley Cantina, these... Uh, Stu had this concept of just putting like dark eyes over in shelves in um, in things that uh, so it was dark inside and you couldn't see the eyes of the people inside and so you'll see they don't have moving yeah. eyes they've just got kind of like bead eyes and um, it was snowing outside um, huh. it, 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 we uh, we had this cold snap and uh, you know this. This we were using compressed um, air and an oven, and they had made a, a kind of little space for it. Maybe because they thought being a compressed tank, it wasn't safe inside. They had to put it outside. So they'd converted a a space that I think originally probably held three dustbins, and um, you know, wow. and so no one else wanted to work outside. So Nick can go do that. Yeah, yeah let's, let's send him. Out. <laughs> send the new guy. So that's how. Yeah. So it's not really like I was so brilliant that they decided I had to make all the eyes. It's just that no one else wanted to go out there. So you know. You're then, doing the little um, jobs until you get the big job, right? You do the little jobs <laughs> until right. you get the big jobs, yeah. <laughs> I knew I was going to make uh, the skins for, for, for Yoda, and I uh, prepared all the molds for Yoda, and Stu and I poured Yoda's head. Um, I poured Yoda's ears and his hands and his feet because they weren't considered to be as simple. I mean, it spent four five months deciding what Yoda was going to look like. This was a, right. this was something of a nightmare. Um, we had <laughs> 10 months, we had 10 months to prepare instead of five weeks to prepare for the Moss Eisley Cantina. We had 10 months to prepare and, um, and film. So we had to, you know, at least I think it was considered three months of that was going to be filming. So we had seven months to prepare and they spent five months deciding what Yoda was going to look like. <laughs> and so suddenly, you know, we were thrown into this sense of turmoil of now rush, 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 get, make the molds, do the stuff, make the skins, get the stuff out. Uh, Stu had his own little room instead of us all being in this one uh, you know, tiny room. And he was working on Yoda and Yoda was his baby. And um, Graham and I were, were building the Wampa. Um, and uh, there was also the, the head of the Tonton, animatronic head of the Tonton that was in the main workshop. And we were doing life cast for hand Solo in Carbonite and other stuff. Oh, cool. And as soon as we started filming, Graham went down on set as the chief makeup artist. So Stu is a designer. He's in his room. Graham is down on the soundstage. I'm the most experienced guy left in the workshop. <laughs> you're you're the head honcho all of a sudden. Right? Suddenly, you know, I'm not the new guy. I, we've got all these new guys 
come in and they're all looking to me for me to tell them what they should be doing and how they should be doing it. Okay, so um, as they progressed and it had been deciding that Yoda was going to be a glove puppet and they started to talk to the Muppets about operating them and, and stuff like that, they suddenly got kind of insecure about the fact that they were never going to see Yoda's legs. Because if you think of the Muppets, you always see them from, you know, either the, the hips up or at best, you know, the, a long dress and the knees up, right? Mm -hmm. You oh, don't yeah. see Yoda's feet, work, you know, the feet working. Mm -hmm. And so they asked Stu if he could build a walking Yoda for a long shot. It's not really important, just for a long shot, so we can see him walking through the trees. Well, Stu was desperately trying to make a mechanism in the last two months uh, for the world's first animatronic superstar. No one had ever, ever made a, a major feature as a puppet in a full movie, in a big movie, right? No one had ever done that. And so he had a lot of pressure on him. So he was in his room, you know, working on that all the time. And he said, no, we, we don't have the staff. We, uh, and we don't have the time to do it. You'll have to do something else. So who did they come to? They came to the guy who was running the workshop for him. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's me. Okay, <laughs> right. So, out of the frying pan, into the fire. Out of the frying pan, into the fire. And so they said... Do you can you figure out some way that you could make you know an animatronic walking um Yoda? So I said, <laughs> Not something yet, else, something else <laughs> that is in my book, something else that is in my book is um. Uh, sorry, I've lost track of what I was saying. Um, yeah, can you make a a a a um a, a walking Yoda? Um, you know, don't ever turn down an opportunity. You know, when an opportunity comes, you can honestly say, um, oh, God, if I try to do this and I fail, people will laugh at me. If I, if I just play safe, I'll get through the job and they'll employ me on another job. If I try to do something outside the box and I fail, I'm going to be the guy who failed. And so fear is the self-doubt is the worst enemy that you have. You know, you, 100%. you people, 100%. people are scared of standing out in a crowd. Mm -hmm. Well, I say, if you don't believe in yourself, who the hell else is going to believe in you? Right. So I, I said, um, Excuse me, let me just ask you this. Why are we talking about animatronic walking Yodas? Because if Yoda is in the scene on his own and nobody knows how tall the trees are, he could be any height. Right. It's all about perspective. So why don't we take, why don't we do a, a false perspective make a, a oversized Yoda, put it on one of the little people, and guess what? His legs work. And we don't have to make mechanical anything. So huh. I, I 
that was the first one that I did. Um, and they must have thought I was all right because they got their shot. It's the shot of Yoda walking through the trees, waving at, uh, at Luke to follow him. Right. And, um, wow. and so they thought I was okay. So finally, finally, we come down to, uh, to filming Yoda and um, they're filming in Yoda's hut. And um, Stu was trying to make a really complex, super lightweight mechanism that could be taken out of the, out of the, um, out of the skull so that if there were any problems, it could just go in, take the skin off, unscrew it, pull it out, fix the problem, put it back in again, keep going. Um, but one of the, the complex issues, first and foremost, eyes looking left and right and up and down are a hell of a lot harder than eyes that look left and right. Eyes left and right is just like putting a pin through eyeballs and swiveling them one way or the other. Any, any, any third grader could probably figure that out. Um, trying to get eyeballs that look up and down, suddenly that eyeball's got to pivot from the center of the eyeball. Wow. And you're putting eyelids over it that are in a space that on the outside of Yoda's, between Yoda's eye and his skin, uh, the corner of his eye and his skin, it's like a quarter of an inch. And you're trying to put the eyeball in and the eyeball, the mechanism in, and then on top of that, Frank wanted his hand to pass through the middle of the mechanism so that he could get his middle finger to Yoda's eyebrows. <laughs> so the mechanism Jeez. had to have a big hole in the middle to do it. So Stu has made this mechanism wow. that was shaped like the top of Yoda's head and the, you... and the mechanism kind of went in a curved shape. I'm waving my arms around and people listening on radio cannot <laughs> understand what I'm doing. But, you know, it would go up into the dome of his head and then come back down to the eyes. So it left the area clear. And, uh, you know, he was he was working himself to death to try and get it ready on time. He went Yoda went down on the set. And periodically, he would he would lock up. They're also trying to get used to the puppet, um, and so uh, you know we have uh, Mark talking about how he had to try and keep a straight face when Yoda would be doing some insane thing um, <laughs> because they hadn't got the controls right, or because the mechanism was breaking down. Well, certainly, and and so every time every time the mechanism seized up. And the and the puppet went out for two hours for Stu to take the skin off, take the mechanism out, unlock it, put it all back together again, put it back on again. You know, they were losing a lot of money. And so they came to that little guy in the workshop. <laughs> that Yoda guy. <laughs> that Yoda guy in the workshop. And um and they said to me, um, look, do you think you could build a backup Yoda? Um, you know, whatever you can make in three days. Um, because, you know, even if it's just got working ears, if it's just the shape of Yoda and it's got working ears, then we can shoot on the back of it and we can shoot on Mark. You look at the scene of Mark talking to Yoda. Yoda's not there most of the time, you know. 
Right. You just got a single. It's normal if two people are having a conversation. You look over the person's shoulder so you see the person he's talking to. Yoda's not there most of the time. There's a right. couple of shots where he is. It's because the puppet was up in the workshop being unlocked <laughs> and brought, you know, brought down again. <laughs> so they said, you know, just get it to do whatever you can, but do it as quick as you can. Now, our guest today is perhaps one of Hollywood's most established jokesmiths ever. He is a six-time Emmy winner, a writer for the Oscars, yep, those awards, for 24 years, 14 of them as head writer. And on top of writing for those presenters and award winners, he's written jokes for dozens, if not hundreds of celebrities, even for presidents of the United States, and was even fortunate enough to write on the infamous 1978 Star Wars Holiday Special. Bruce Valanche, thank you so much for joining us today. Followed, followed by the Darth, Darth Vader theme. Oh, like we like to sing that when George came in the office. Oh man, like I could, I could only imagine the shenanigans, the shenanigans to say the least. It's there probably... were. Remember, it was 1978, so we were chemically altered. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and I, I, I hate to say that anymore because uh, I've said it so many times that now I get the, uh, somebody sent me a review of the Lego special, uh, in which oh, they said, yes. "Well, it's so much better than the uh, uh, than the Star Wars special, which was written on a cocaine high by <laughs> Bruce Valanche." <laughs> Where she got that from? I mean, yeah, we did we did stuff. You know, I used to I joked that, uh, that Carrie Fisher and I snorted the sweet and low. We were, <laughs> You're going Colombian skis. No, I mean, we all know that Carrie had a, a real drug thing. I never had a drug thing. I mean, but I did what you did in those days, which was you had a, a, a like a cocktail every day. You had a joint or you had something every day. So I mean, there was it was fairly mellow, but uh, it wasn't like we were, you know. Chewing our our bicuspids down to you know a nub and writing this thing it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't like that, but uh, it was part of the atmosphere. I have to say. Well, the, yeah, I have a few. Go ahead. I was going to say I have a few things to say about whenever anybody asks me about the show. If you uh, if if you since you're going to right absolutely. Uh, uh, I have to say the first thing is that uh, uh, had we known that what we were doing would be talked about forty five years later, we might have paid closer attention. <laughs> Fair enough. It was it was just another one of those crazy television variety specials, and there were lots of them being done. I mean, I did Wayne Newton at SeaWorld, you know, with <laughs> where he sang to a killer orca. I mean, you know, there was like a lot of crap. I mean, it was it was network television uh, at its in its at last gasp of uh, being uh, exclusive. So can you find uh, that on YouTube? Wayne Norton singing to a killer orca? No, and I'm desperate to find <laughs> it. I think he yes. I think he he is like George Lucas who who tried to kill every copy of the of Star Wars and has has bots who are like constantly looking, you know, uh trying to find uh, bootlegs and getting rid of them, you know, banishing them from the from the uh, internet. And I think that uh, that Wayne Newton has probably done the same thing. I think he's he's if Wayne Newton can be embarrassed by anything <laughs> it would be by that show. Singing a love ballad to uh, Shamu. <laughs> a love ballad to an orca, yeah. Shamu. <laughs> Free Willy, yeah. Wayne meets Shamu. Make some magic, kids. <laughs> so, uh, so that's that's one point. And the other point I have to make, and people get angry when I say this sometimes, is that 
a lot of people thought Star Wars was a load of crap. In 1978, it was a, a movie. Yeah. It was a summer movie. It was a phenomenon with stoners and kids because it was a great big blown up sci-fi movie. And it was like a Republic serial. It, it, it used all of those tropes from the old Republic Studios Saturday matinees where you'd come back every week to see the next installment. It used all of that stuff. And people, a lot of people in the industry were not wildly impressed by it, uh, which you'll, you'll see when you look at the, uh, the Oscar nominations that year, where so much of the technical stuff was nominated, but right. not so much of anything else. So, but I think it probably did get the best picture because it was such a, ph a phenom. Uh, however, it had not, he, George had not started doing Empire yet. He was in pre-production on the Empire. So at the time Star that we did the show, Star Wars had not become Scientology of the nerds. <laughs> you know, it, it took three more, three movies and decades of watching those movies over and over at home on VHS and later streaming and the internet before that occurred, by which time people discovered this, the Star Wars holiday special on the internet and said, what, what, the, what, what is this? How did we not know about this? And then they watched it and they said, <laughs> how could you betray us this way, George? And so George, you know, legitimately freaked out and tried to get, you know, get all the copies of it destroyed. And, and of course, when you do that, that just, it's like, you it know, scratching a scab, it, it makes yeah. it worse. And, uh, um, and then, of course, he made three more, four more, five more Star Wars. But every time he does one, it comes up again. So uh, it's never going to go away. And George's, you know, attitude is, it's like uh, Tevye when his daughter marries the Gentile. You're dead to me. <laughs> leave, leave the shuttle. And it's the same thing. George is like, you know, don't talk to me about this. This show is dead to me. So I say all that because uh, uh, sometimes, you know, especially guys your age, approach it like, how did this happen? And, you know, I mean, did what were you thinking and all that kind of, we weren't thinking we were making a, a dumbass TV special from a dumbass movie. That was the attitude back then. And we were also <laughs> all obviously cokeheads. So what did we know? Naturally. Well, I like, and that's where I think a lot of the, like the emphasis on how could you let your baby become such like where a lot of the haters are coming from star Wars at that time was, as you say, <laughs> just like it, it was, a great it was a good movie sure it was entertaining it was fun but it wasn't this it cult was it wasn't this religion no, there was no there was no i love when they say where does it sit in the canon <laughs> mm -hmm. i mean like there is a canon i mean the only the only element of it that is from the canon is bubba fett because bubba fett went on yep. and life day i suppose which george invented for the special or he actually yeah. he had he'd written he told me he'd written 10 stories and he was going to film six of them. And four of the others, he let out to other places. There's a novel that came out back then. I think A Moat in God's Eye, it may have been the title. Okay. It was a Star Wars novel. And uh, this was the last thing. And he, and he sold this to CBS as a promotional vehicle to tie things over until the Empire movie came out to, keep, to stir the pot. And I, I think two things. I think uh, he, he felt that... He was giving them an original musical that they would they would do something with, an idea for an original musical. He didn't know about variety specials. He didn't know from, you know, Sonny and Cher 
And he didn't know from uh, Cole Porter in Paris with Connie Stevens. He didn't know from Raquel Welch singing and dancing and being shot out of a cannon. That was not his work. That not him. She I plays a mover arms when she when she dances. Yeah, she doesn't. She had a Vegas act too. It's fabulous. Uh, and the Muppets. The Muppets were the guests on the special. Yeah, That's true. And, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and they like feeling her up. That was my favorite thing. And that was a great big fight with the network censor. You can't, say, you can't have the Muppet grab her tip. I said, the Muppet doesn't know it's a tip. The Muppet's just touching her. Well, he can't touch her there. This was an actual conversation. <laughs> oh, what a time. So, oh, take me back. Just, wait, take so me Star, back. Wars, the ho- Star Wars Holly special, special fits right in. Right. It, there's a cannon for you. Network yes. TV variety show. So George didn't know about this stuff. He thought he was selling us an original uh, idea for a musical. And but you would think if he was going to sell anybody an original idea for a musical, it would not star uh, as central characters uh, creatures who could not sing, speak, <laughs> dance, or do anything but sound like fat people having orgasms. You know. <laughs> Trust me, I know. <laughs> Now, as far as the story itself, how much freedom were you as the writers given? Were you given like a frame to kind of hang your hat we were from? Given a, we were given an outline. Okay. And uh, the first thing we had to do was plug in entertainment value, what they called the entertainment sections. We had to find places where we could put in guest stars and numbers. Tick those boxes, yeah. Right, check those boxes. So... Uh, there was a lot of people watching TV. Mala was watching a cooking show, so we could do Julia Child with Harvey Corman. Yeah, the four arms. Uh, uh, right. Uh, we uh, and who's my favorite? This uh, this same reviewer who talked about Cokehead Valanche um, said, uh, and he had Harvey Corman in blackface. <laughs> I said, what? What are you talking about? Come on, blackface. First of all, it's not. He's not. He's a non-human. Four arms. He is. He is <laughs> a creature arms. from another planet, and it's not even black. It looked black on my TV. The guy said when I wrote him about it. I said, "You can't make these spurious claims. What's the matter with you?" Jesus, that's libel. Said, and, and Harvey's been dead for years. Why are you spitting on his grave with this idiocy? Anyway, so I won that round. Yeah. But, but. Um, uh, so and then we had we put in Diane Carroll as a fantasy of the old uh, the silverback uh, grandpa Wookie uh, because that was supposed to be Cher but she backed out and Diane no way stepped in, which, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Diane uh, came in and she was wonderful she's so elegant and classy and you know and I said uh, it was the first uh, inter interspecies interracial romance on network television. Where's my NAACP image award? <laughs> I used to joke with Diane, when are we getting that award for that groundbreaking moment that we did oh, in, that in was, the Star Wars special? That was historic. <laughs> Where you and a Wookiee were having a moment. <laughs> and then uh, we had the kid playing with something, and that was how we got uh, the Cirque du Soleil to do their first television thing. Yep. coming in, and, did and then we had later on the kid watches Jefferson Starship. So there were we kept finding spots where we could stick entertainment numbers and then of course when they go to tatooine to the cantina there's b arthur of course yeah b is running the joint and she insisted on doing a number that was her deal breaker because b you know was a broadway musical comedy actress she had been the original yenta the matchmaker in fiddler on the roof 
Okay. And she had won a Tony for doing Mame for playing Angela Lansbury's sidekick. And uh, at the time, she was Maud, which was a big TV show, but non-musical. And but so she was a huge name. And uh, but she wanted to remind people that she had these musical comedy chops. She had the pipes. She had the pipes. So she brought in a song by Kurt, Kurt Weil and Bertolt Brecht. The Alabama song, you may know it because Frank Zappa and uh, and Mothers of Invention did, Oh, show me the way to the next whiskey bar. Oh, don't ask why. <laughs> and that was going to be, and the obese sings everything in the basement down there. And uh, and uh, we had to clear it with Bertolt Brecht's estate, who said, no, he didn't write this, so it should be in some space canteen of fantasy. You know, he wrote this as social commentary. So... Ken and Missy Welch, who uh, wrote a lot of stuff for the Carol Burnett show, were writers on this. And they wrote her a song that sounded a lot like the Alabama song and sort of kind of like uh, Midnight, uh, what the Moscow song. Uh, Those were the days, my friends, we thought they'd never end. It's not that, but it sounds like that a lot. (laughs) And, but it was, you know, Chad, it was very hearty and very, be you know be in her Statue of Liberty period. Just oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And, Pretty golden uh, girls, and with, but, uh, surrounded yeah. by all of these aliens, by all these dime story, <laughs> these these remainder aliens, because we couldn't get the original ones, and he wouldn't he, he wouldn't let anybody use the ones from Empire. So we had to get whatever we we could scrape up. Yeah, blow the dust off of you know whatever was laying around in the Muppets workshop, was, and uh, a couple of the prototypes there. that were. <laughs> Maybe scratched up. It was, it was a riot. And we had a couple of recyclers, you know, with pouring, serving them by pouring the the, the beer down in the head. Yes, the, head. the cone, uh, the beehive, but kind of with That's a funnel right. in it, basically. I'll finish my drink. Pours <laughs> it in the top. That's right. Certainly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, what about, I want to talk about you, the person, when this came out and you started seeing maybe some of this negativity around it. How did you feel? Did you feel like, like hurt by it or did you, were you, were you, you know, it, it aired the weekend before Thanksgiving, and uh, it got a, a decent number. It didn't get a, it didn't go through the roof, and and it got some good some reviews that said this is ridiculous, and a lot of reviews that said this is just really crap. But that wasn't unusual for that genre. I mean, there were there were, and I don't think anybody was expecting it to be Marishnikov on Broadway. Star Wars you know, wasn't or, the brand yet. It wasn't like right. the, this it, worldwide it phenomenon. Exactly right. Right. It was just it a was, really good right. movie. So. It was just, isn't this curious how they're trying to take advantage of it? And the joke, of course, was it was George who was trying to, you know, stir the pot. He wanted to keep things going. It wasn't, I mean, the network recognized that they had a built-in brand that would attract a, a certain audience. And, uh, uh, but it wasn't like anybody was, you know, jumping up and down to do it. So it, uh, uh, so I mean, we went on. I went on from that to another thing. It wasn't, you know, there, there were. I, I did a lot of. I'm writing a book now about how I wrote the worst shows in television history and lived. Yeah, yeah well, I was going to say yeah, you're the Brady awesome. Bunch Variety Hour and Paul uh, right. Lind Halloween Special, and I mean, I have a whole litany of of fabulous pieces of shit that I wrote that uh, that I'm writing a book about. So here's to me some of the shiniest turds in hollywood <laughs> there for you then maybe that's the name of the book <laughs> no but i was I gonna say your, your career all the same turds but that just sounds so <laughs> well if you've listened to any two star wars audiobooks chances are that mark has narrated at least one of them 
He has around 49 Star Wars titles, not counting, uh, oh, sorry, and counting, and what looks like a dozen or so, perhaps more audiobooks on top of those Star Wars ones. And he may be the only person who can speak Shriwook better than me. Please welcome <laughs> the amazingly talented Mark Thompson. Mark, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing great. That's that's a high bar, though, you're setting up. I don't know if I can speak Shriwook. Well, you. It, well you, you at least got the sound effects down pat because uh, uh, yeah. I'm not having, you know, I'm not ordering a coffee in Shrewook or anything. However, uh, okay. uh, it's, uh, it's, it, I can get the grumbles down pat there. So, but yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll save that for later. But uh, yeah, again, thank you so okay. much for joining us today. Um, yeah, we're, we're just grateful to have you on. Oh, thanks yeah. for having me. It's, uh, it's an honor to come on and talk about Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. So hey, hey, Mark. It's Andy. I didn't. Th- I don't think I introduced myself before we we got going. Uh, I'm Andy. It's nice hey, to meet you? you. You too. Um, we're just curious. Like, so Star Wars. I mean, we're all big Star Wars fans. This is a Star Wars podcast. How did you get involved in the narration game with Star Wars? Like, what was the process like? What like how did that all come about? Yeah. So um, I had been doing animation for quite a while, um, and my agent called and and said, "Well, have you ever done an audiobook? And, and I was kind of like, no, not really. And I was kind of trying to talk myself or talk her out of it. Cause I wasn't, <laughs> I hate to admit this, but I wasn't much of a reader. Like I don't, I didn't like read a lot growing up or whatever. And it just seemed like a lot of work to me. <laughs> right? So, um, so I was kind of trying to like not show a lot of interest, but then she was like, well, what about like a, would you be interested in doing a star Wars audiobook?" And I was like, whoa, whoa, yeah. Uh, hold on. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, so then I just really was like, oh, my goodness, this is awesome. And uh, I they, they gave me like three pages of it. And they said, you know, prepare this and you're going to come in and audition. And and so I like kind of just read it like crazy. And I kind of got some of the character voices together. And I like prayed. I was like, God, let me get this. You know, and uh, <laughs> so then I, I walked in and uh, I, I did it. And I, I think they... You could ask Kevin Thompson. He's the director of pretty much all of the Star Wars books. Um, and I think I think he would probably say, like, I got it because I, I could emulate a lot of those voices. And I think my animation and mimic uh, background kind of helped with that. Um, but then having to learn how to, you know, narrate the entire book and make it make sense was something I had to learn on the fly and on the job. <laughs> so yeah. uh, there was a bit of a learning curve, but... Uh, but it's now it's now one of my favorite things. Like it's it's I actually really love uh, reading the book and, and narrating the whole thing now. But uh, initially it was it was definitely really really challenging and and took a lot to get acclimated to. Um, so you know you've had a part you've had a chance to be part of like the Legends um, era, and that's like a has a really soft spot in a lot of fans' hearts. Mm. And fans really love it. Oh yeah. Um, do you have any like favorite novels or story arcs that you had got to be a part of or? Oh yeah, just in general. Um, so I was really lucky because I got to do two big, kind of nine book story arcs when that, I was first starting out. Yep. Um and and it was kind of like basically like what happened to like Luke and Mara's kids and like and and Han and Leia's kids and like it was just it was these epic epic stories and so I I really like like the. I think it's called Legacy of the Force and, and Fate of the Jedi yep. were kind of the name of the arcs. So th- those all kind of blend together for me. But I, I uh, so I, but I really liked Fate of the Jedi. Like I, re- I really liked kind of that mm-hmm. arc and some of the things that 
were going on in there. And there, there was, I, ah, I should have looked this up uh, to remember, but there was this group of aliens that were kind of Yuzhan Vong. Well, there's that. I, I didn't was get that to Yuzhan Vong. Yeah, I, I that was before me. Okay, but um, there was uh, this al- this group of aliens that were Force users, but they were kind of like what the Bendu is on Rebels. It's it was this group of aliens that didn't necessarily subscribe to the idea of the light and the dark, but kind of like we're trying to examine both sides. You're kind of be this gray in the middle thing. And and Luke went to them to try to learn some stuff about the Force that he wasn't learning yet. And so that was. And they, they like would like they had like the, the this tongue and they would like the way they communicated was like kind of like yeah, using their okay. tongue to like taste things or whatever. And it was like really it was very like it was really, really deep sci fi like weird stuff and I loved it. it That's was really when Luke cool. and uh, Luke and Ben <laughs> go on their mission, yes, right? Yes, 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 yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're That's, like there's like dead people in the water and yeah, like this it weird kind vision of this quest. Eerie and, kind of uh, yeah. It's almost like the Harry Potter when him and Dumbledore go to that uh, yeah. Uh, fortress there whatever yeah, I don't part know the that name one was either. yeah but uh yeah that was that was kind of great and that's where that's how i first got to know you and like how i just started to oh, wow. appreciate what you did uh, you, you essentially <laughs> helped me train my dog because i used to take nice <laughs> long walks with my puppy and I, I figured out how to use how to download from the library's audiobook oh, profiles yeah. to get the entire. Uh, and i started with uh, it was the fate of the jedi the whole jason solo arc yes. and his fall or no it's not even really a fall. It's like he makes becoming a Sith make sense, right? In a weird way, he does it from yeah. like a like a heartfelt, very yeah. like empathetic point. You, you get why he does it, and he's got these his own secrets as to why he can't necessarily reveal why mm. uh, why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah, but then he just gets kind of sucked into it, and it's like a compelling like it's like man, I I don't blame you, man. You're, yeah. you're gonna do anything, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, and just the way you pulled everyone through that story arc itself like those uh, 18 books of yeah. those two storylines were just uh, absolutely phenomenal and uh were, were really how i got hooked on on you as a as a how i became a fan of yours for sure oh wow that's just, cool. so i highly highly recommend although they're not canon they should be yeah they're great stories though they're really fun they are fantastic they still hold up these days and i'm sure that uh that old Mr. Filoni and Favreau will be borrowing heavily in the years to come from uh, <laughs> some of those story arcs, hopefully. Now, being as big of a fan as you are, do you sometimes feel spoiled? And I don't, and I mean like spoilers coming, like you oh, don't get to oh, see oh. it on film first before you get to see. Right. Like, like <laughs> how do you handle that? Are you very excited to like get that? Like, would you open the present before Christmas kind of thing and be okay with that? Or <laughs> Yeah, I mean... So, the, I I fortunately only really had to deal with that once, uh, and it was with Force Awakens, mm-hmm. and uh, they asked me to do the novelization, and Kevin knew, like you know, that I might have opinions about being spoiled, and so he asked me ahead of time. He's like, "Hey, look, if they if they ask you to do this, are you going to be okay knowing you uh-huh. know months ahead of time?" And and I I he texted that to me or something and i i looked at my wife and i was like i don't know because like (laughs) you know like i like i've been waiting like years for this movie to come out and i'm so excited to see it i want to have that opening night experience and is it going to ruin the movie and she was like are you crazy like (laughs) of course you should do the book like you know like if you got hired to be in the movie wouldn't you say yes to being in the movie we wouldn't care about spoilers Uh, i was like i thought you were gonna say we have kids to feed yeah yeah. (laughs) what do you well there's that too yeah yeah i could just (laughs) oh sorry 
Oh no, it's just she she was obviously right and that you know. So <laughs> just picture you like like just like Luke standing on the mound looking at twin sunsets <laughs> brooding as to whether or not you want to take right. on this monster. Make the ultimate decision. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I mean it was you know, so I I do remember and it was for that one it was crazy cuz like I they I I wasn't allowed to read it at my house. I had to go to uh, wow. Penguin Random House's uh offices. They locked me in a room. Armed guards. They disconnected the computer from the internet, so like no, I couldn't do anything like that. Oh wow! Um, and then anytime I had to go to the bathroom, they locked the door behind me to make sure no one was going in there. Um, and I remember like you know reading, and, and you get to the point where like Kylo, you know, spoiler kills. <laughs> you know, wait, what? I'm, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Why did you do this to me? But I got a little teary, you know. So I'm sitting in this room all by myself. I was like, oh yeah. no, you know, it's my boy. Um, yeah. So, but so, but then what it what what it did for opening night for me was I still enjoyed opening night, but for instead of like like enjoying the story for the first time, it was like me looking to my right and left, like okay, how are they gonna react now? Like you know, <laughs> oh, here comes the lightsaber. It's gonna go past him and go to her. What are they gonna? You know, so I'm like, I'm like that that made it its own special experience. Was kind of like you know, getting ready to see what the audience's reaction was gonna be. So so That's it was cool. still fun, and I still enjoyed it. But but I do. I think I prefer to not be spoiled. Like for Last Jedi, I had the option, and I I chose. They said, you know, we're we're gonna record it. Uh, that they for the le- other films, they decided to do the novelizations after. Yeah, release, it was a couple of months you know? later, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but but again, we recorded like the week of the movie coming out. So I I I said, look, I'll I promise I'll read the whole thing. But like, let me just see the movie opening night, and then I'll. Read and they're yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah. it's fine. So, oh man, that's great. Well, well, that's good as well because with those novelizations, there's a lot of like the cut scenes. Yes, that weren't in the um uh, in the movies themselves. So that's another thing that I love about just listening to you narrate these stories again. There's like extra scenes that can add yeah. some context and make some other parts of the movies make more sense. They're just like, oh, that's why that happened. Oh, they yeah, had this yeah, interaction totally. that I don't remember that being in the movie, but uh, it just adds a lot to, a lot of good depth to it for sure. So. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I I love the sequels more than a lot of people just because I because I got to read the novelizations and, and I feel like those a lot of those cut scenes or, or extra scenes really helped understand some of the things that were going on in the sequels and it made me appreciate them even more so i, I really love them we would love if you joined us in a game and we sure. would we would be remiss if we didn't you know get the stick and poke you a little bit and say hey do, <laughs> do the voice do the voice so we're gonna uh we're gonna give you a couple characters okay i have a a bag of characters Oh boy! And a, and a white felony hat full of scenes. <laughs> Not full. We'll do a couple. We won't. Okay. We won't make you burn your voice out for the weekend or anything. Okay. So I'll give you. What would you like first? The scene or the character? Uh, the character. Okay. Okay. Character number one is. Oh, my favorite, Thrawn. Okay. Grand Admiral that's just Thrawn. that's just that's just a hat full of Thrawn, isn't it? There's yeah. Wait a minute. Oh, that was another point of contention. We don't have to go into it too much, but I liked the Mark 
Thompson version of Thrawn when you did the anniversary edition. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, that's what I envisioned as Thrawn. But I, yeah. I love like this silent, maniacal kind of Thrawn that you yes, became. Yeah. <laughs> However, I always envi- envisioned him as this kind of like strong, brooding kind of character right. that yeah, yeah, yeah. you initially had for him as well before uh, uh, Mr. Skarsgård, I believe, came in. and uh, uh, Mickelson, yeah. Mickelson, sorry, Mickelson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, does it now, but uh, yes. So anyways, Grand Admiral Thrawn is... Asking for a quarter pounder, but no cheese, and will that affect the weight? <laughs> okay. So Grand Admiral Thrawn ordering a quarter pounder with no cheese. Okay. Chimera, full stop. Greetings, fast food window <laughs> operator. I would like one of your quarter pounder sandwiches, but listen to me closely. It is very important that there be no dairy project upon my burger. No cheese shall touch the meat. Do you understand? Also, will this affect the time? Excellent. While I'm waiting, I'll look at the art in your bathroom. <laughs> that was so wow. good. Wow. Wow. Well, take it to a whole other level. That, I got goosebumps from that. <laughs> Can that be the next Star Wars movie? Yeah. <laughs> T- tell Tim. Let's see what he does. Hey, yeah. for sure. Get it in there. Okay. Okay. Next character. Oh. Oh. Han Solo. Okay. And Han Solo is. Telling the kids you brought pizza home. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, Chewy, Leia, where's Ben? I got the pepperoni and the sausage. Hey, hey, don't touch. I get the first slice. <laughs> Laugh it up, fuzzball. It's my pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Uh, I'm down for that. Okay. (laughs) Last one. Last one. Three. Rule of comedy. Rule of three, right? So. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Number three. The third one. I have many more names in here, but we'll save that for the next interview there, Mark. Okay. Okay. Last but not least, we have Princess Leia. Oh, boy. And she is. She just got her credit card declined at the grocery store. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Do you know who you're talking to? I am the princess of Alderaan. I'm on a diplomatic mission, and I need these Oreos. How can you say I'm declined? You are on a counselor's mission, and don't try to tell me that your credit is not expired. <sighs> Wow, we even got some bonus characters there. We got two for one. Wow, we're spoiled. We're spoiled. That's her father's take declining her own car. It's like her dad taking away the car away. (laughs) Daddy. (laughs) Daddy. (laughs) Oh, amazing. Wasn't that fun? Uh, That... I'm not kidding. That was a lot of fun, re-listening to all of those. Uh, Just want to say a huge thank you to Nick Maley, that Yoda guy. Uh, The full interview with him can be found on our episode four, if you go back into our list. So feel free to go back, re-listen, re-like, re-share it with your friends. Uh, He was also featured on our bonus episode, episode 4.5. So uh, yeah, go go listen to both of those. 
episode 4.5 is our bonus Star Wars podcast day release. Uh, so yeah, go back, check those out. Thank you to Bruce Valanche as well. Uh, he was our episode 6. You can go back and listen to that. All sorts of behind-the-scenes goodies on the writing of the Star Wars Holiday Special. The 1978 Star Wars Holiday Special. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was episode 6, I believe it was. Huge thank you to Bruce Valanche for that. And thank you to Mark Thompson. Mark joined us for our episode 13, talking about all of the goodness and awesomeness behind the scenes of his Star Wars audiobook narrations. I can't get enough of that guy's audiobooks. He's so good. Absolutely crushes it. His older stuff, the Legends stuff as well, worth a listen. It is so good. So good. Uh, anyways, thank you to all three of those fine gentlemen. Uh, again, go back, re-listen to those episodes as well. Thank you again for joining us, everybody. Always be a Jedi in the streets and a Sith in the sheets. I've always wanted to say that. The other guys always get to say it. Okay, whatever. Bye. <laughs> 